Welcome to the Extra Podcast. Thank you. Episode number 243. I'm Greg. Joining me around the table is Pastor Paul. Hey. Pastor Andy. Uh, It's good to be on this episode with you. Thank you. And Pastor Ezra. Good to be here. No Jeff. Praise God. Do we know where he is? (laughs) (laughs) If a a podcast is recorded and Jeff isn't on it, does that mean it actually happened? We'll see if it makes it online. (laughs) I don't know what happened. He doesn't doesn't miss that many of these. No, he doesn't. No. Do we even know where he is? Uh, Jeff took some time just to relax and rejuvenate, recharge that old battery. In other words, he's watching soccer on TV. Actually, he's not. No. I know that for a fact. Okay. Yes. Right. I know where he is. He's hiding. All right. He went into hiding. I hid yesterday, so I know what that's Where'd about. Where'd you hide? Dude, if I tell you, then mm-hmm. people can find me. That's yes. true. But Andy and I hid yesterday together for a few <gasps> yes. minutes. I saw I saw Ezzy at the mall, right. and we had a lunch together. It was great. Right. It really? was good times. It yes. was. It was good. What did you eat? What mall? Seven, Seven Oaks. Oaks. Yeah, yeah. What'd yeah. you Food eat? Court. I like to eat, and this is kind of my go-to whenever I go to the mall, is the teriyaki chicken where they make it, and it's just plain white white rice. Yeah. That's a solid meal. Was plain white rice your nickname in high school? No, but in college, it's what got me through yeah. those tough times, <laughs> those dark nights mm-hmm. of hunger. The plain white rice. Yeah, man. I had a rice cooker in college. I cook, I use that thing nonstop. Yeah. Andy, Andy is a Interns very... Interns are shaking his head. You know what I'm talking I, I, about. I will say this. Andy is a very generous person. So if you're running to Andy in the mall, ask him to buy you lunch. I'll do it. I can't help and, myself. Yeah, he totally did. What did he, you he eat? He bought me lunch. Same thing. Wow. Mm. So... Hey... So did, you have to eat what Andy's eating. That's, yes. in order that's for, the way it works. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he told me <laughs> he told he, he told me about his best eating joint. So I was like, okay, let's give it a try. Let's see. So he ordered something, and I said, okay, fine, let me try that too. Andy's, and he wasn't that bad. Andy's best eating joint is the mall. That's right. Wow. <laughs> Food court mall. Hey, um, <laughs> so I used to be a big fan of the Taco Bell in there because I I convinced myself that there wasn't gluten in it. I'm mm. sure there was because I felt ill after every single meal. Uh, but I do as well. So have have they replaced the Taco Bell with anything yet? No, I think there's still an empty spot there. Man. Yeah, you know what? I did enjoy that Taco Bell myself. Oh. I I love a good Taco Bell. Yeah, it's the American in me. They they started making tacos with Doritos, Dorito chip as the shell. Oh really? It was good times, and then they left. You know what? That's not okay. You know what? I was there one time, and I asked the ladies how it was going at the Taco Bell because I was trying to be nice, and the lady was like, not good. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? Rough day? She's like, you could say that. And then a few days later, it was gone. Yeah. So I guess, they, I mean, she could have told me. This I got is your fired last, today. <laughs> this is your last chance to eat at this Taco Bell. Eat all the Dorito tacos. <laughs> Paul, what's your favorite fast food food court mm. option? Well, up here, uh, I can't say we spend a lot of time at the mall. Uh, you know, so hearing how much time you guys spend in the mall, it's a little, it's a little frightening. But, uh, but no, we um, we probably I like st- to shop, Paul. You got a problem with that? <laughs> so uh, Claire's only has sales for so long. <laughs> <laughs> but to eat uh, at this mall up here, probably New York fries. That's probably where I go. Oh, yeah, really? fries. I've never eaten there. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. What I mean, do they have more than just fries? You can put stuff on the fries. Yeah, you can yeah, put. That's yeah. ridiculous. But in the U.S., in the U.S., we would go to uh, Chick Fil A. Yeah, Chick Fil A. Yeah. 
And it was it was always amazing. You'd go into a mall and you'd go into the food court and there's all these different places, pizza places, burger joints, sandwich, whatever. Chick-fil-A's got this lineup of like 20 people and every other place has their workers standing in front of the counter handing free handouts, which nobody's taking. Wow. So, wow. yeah, it was pretty cool. Andy, do you have an earring? <laughs> Uh, that's a good question because I, I actually my ears are pierced. Yeah, and one of my ears has two piercings in it, and I used to rock the earrings, nice. and, and my holes are still there. So periodically, when I'm bored, I'll just shove things through them. But so my uh, my Claire's no, I joke, don't. my Claire's joke really struck a nerve. Then I'll say this, Greg. Uh, yes, I have been to Claire's, and I may or may not have purchased something in the past from Claire's. Wow. Guys, this we could end the podcast I'll right admit now. It, right? And it was worth he doesn't it. even have daughters. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. guys, this was good. On that note, this was a good little little blurb. I was excited. Mm-hmm. I just found out Andy shops at Claire's for himself. Mm-hmm. I used to, Greg. There's a difference. Oh, sorry. Yeah, good. Hey, we have a few questions that we want to get through uh, this morning for our our listeners' enjoyment and our enjoyment. Here's the first question. Should marriage be public? That is, should it be officiated and certified? Or is it enough to say some private vows before God and then consider yourself married and then cohabitate? Hmm. Ezra, you've done like 700 weddings in your life. (laughs) (laughs) I've done enough weddings. So what's your first take on this? Andy, you've probably done the second most. Yeah, I've done a lot. So I want to hear what you guys have to Which, say. Which, by the way, we have 14 young adults that, to, that thus far that are engaged for this summer. So uh, pray for me. Are they going to do <laughs> one big wedding? I know. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to talk yeah, about, you. It's just not happening. <laughs> yeah, that's just, a lot of officiating, buddy. I'm in, I'm in trouble. I just do one. Yeah. So, yeah, at any rate. I would say, I mean, this almost sounds like a common law living so to speak where two people come together agree that they want to live together as husband and wife that kind of thing and then they talk about uh maybe praying or asking god to bless their union together and then keep on living i think uh now the bible the bible does not endorse or nowhere in the scriptures do i see cohabitating being something that is being put forward as a legitimate way for a man and a woman to 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 live uh, in right. a, in a marriage sort of uh, setting, uh, but what now, if they have private vows <clears throat> before God prior to that? See, okay, so what There's I see what I see in the scriptures, what I see in the scriptures is a almost like a public declaration of intent, where uh, publicly things are stated. People people know the community around you knows that. My intention is to live with this person. My intention is to live with this person in a marital union, is what I see in the biblical text all across. Even even in s- situations where there wasn't any wedding ceremony, so to speak. So I'm thinking, say for example, Isaac and Rebecca. In 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 their in their case, it's almost like Rebecca showed up. Isaac saw her. He saw uh, Isaac saw her, and she saw him, and he took her and brought him into his home, and they became a husband and wife. And he was comforted because his mom died. But we also see the servant who had been sent to get Rebecca. Mm. You know, there was intent there where publicly 
You know, mm -hmm. I'm looking for a wife for my master's son. And then there was this go back and forth, back and forth. And then at the end of the day, the family agreed and accepted, okay, fine, here she is, go. So there was this uh, public, a public declaration of intent uh, that this is what is going to happen. So I see in a, Christ in a Christian wedding ceremony, there is this public declaration of intent where mm -hmm. your friends are there, your family is there, God is present, obviously. Vows are exchanged publicly, so you declaring your intentions mm -hmm. with the person whom you're marrying, so... And I think we need to remember that marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. However, there's a couple of things that kind of come through in, in my mind there. However, the government-wise, it is a contract. And government, you know, you, you need to do certain things if you are going to be married. And so there's a legal aspect uh, on the one hand where we need to obey the laws of the land. And, and the laws would say you need to enter into a contract uh, if you're going to be married. So I think that's one issue, and and also some of the like the the, the privileges that you'll be that you'd receive as a married couple from right. the government, like tax breaks and things like that. Right, and then the second aspect of it is that this is you are entering into a covenant uh, with one another, and and as you were getting at Ezra, I mean, what, one of the things I think is funny about this question and the 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 way people look at this is a lot of people look at church the same way. You know, do I really need to go to church? I mean, I've got this relationship with God and everything, and, you know, like, we've exchanged vows to one another. Like, you know, can't, <clears throat> can't I just sit in my, my living room and read my Bible? And so on the one hand, it's like, well, yeah, you can. I mean, you can sit in your living room and read the Bible, and I mean, I'm sure we could all think of a situation in which, yeah, you could be married like that. I mean, let's imagine you lived, like, in Alaska, and you, like, were the only two people in the town you know, and you exchange vows. I mean, you know, sure, you're you're married, but I mean, is that what God's intent was for marriage that you would, or for church? And it's interesting because God, you know, shows how church and union, this covenant, this new covenant, are how they are similar, right? And and that they're built on community. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I would add on to that to say, okay, so in the scriptures, who unites a man and a woman? God is the one who does that. So what God has brought together, let no man separate. Mm -hmm. So God is the one who brings people together. So then the question becomes, how, what, what uh, tool or what avenue, in what setting does God work? The most he uses the local church to right. further his his uh, kingdom his, his kingdom to further his agenda. Mm -hmm. So, in the context of a local church. Mm. that's how God reaches the world. So now, if God is the one who's bringing people together, then two individuals who are coming together... Now, remember, the, the marriage is a picture of the gospel. That's right. So yeah. if Christ loving the church and all these things. So now, when when I want to get, wanted to get married to Tamara, the reason we wanted to do it in a church in front of God's people was basically because we wanted to not only demonstrate that marriage is a picture of the gospel and to show now that by us coming together, but acknowledging the fact that it's God who's bringing us together That's right. and God works in the context of local churches to further his kingdom. So having a, a pastor who's, um, who will bring us together in the presence of all these witnesses, family, uh, friends, church people, yeah, that, uh, exactly. Uh, here's here's maybe another way to look at it. Uh, it. The Bible is 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 about covenant. In fact, it's Old Testament and New Testament. And the word testament is Latin for covenant. So you got 
Uh, you got the old covenant and you got the new covenant. And what you see is that a covenant is built upon a promise. And in, in so the covenant is only as good as the, prom, the promise keeper, right? Who's going to keep that promise? And what you see throughout the Bible is that God keeps his promises, people don't. And here in this new covenant, you know, if you read Ezekiel chapter 36, you know, God's saying, listen, I'm going to take your heart of stone, I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh, and, and I am going to live in and through you, and I'm going to help you to keep your promises. And so on this one aspect, you got the, this covenant that you're making before God because you realize that you're going to need God's help to keep this promise uh, to your mm-hmm. spouse. But alongside that, God has instituted the church to come alongside you because, as John says in 1 John chapter 4, you know, the church is going to be the, the hands and feet of Jesus that are going to help you yes. to do that. Yeah, God uses means. The That's right. That's means, right. Yes. And, you know, John says, you know, no one's ever seen God, but when God lives in and through you, people experience God through you. And so, and so in community, uh, you learn how to, you know, in this sense, keep your promises. Yeah, you're held accountable. That's right. You're trained, you're rebuked, you're corrected, all those kinds of things. Paul, you had something to say? No, I was just with the a Christian wedding, a Christian marriage being a picture of the gospel. Of the, we have in Revelation talks the marriage supper of the Lamb, of the bride is ready, and the uh, uh, Christ comes, and and we're invited to this banquet, which which is a celebration of that. And so at Christian weddings, we we do a picture of this, and it's a it's kind of this, it's a presentation even of the gospel taking place at a Christian wedding. And so mm-hmm. this is a good reason, this is one yeah. good reason to have a, a public ceremony where you invite family, you invite friends, you invite your church out. You know, I think of uh, a, a f- somebody I know who lives back east who um, they, they go to a church that does a lot of work with the, the, the needy, the homeless around them in their community. And, uh, and he decided, him and his um, girlfriend got engaged, they decided they were going to get married. And uh, they invited their parents to fly into it. But other than that, they, they didn't have any formal invitation. What they did on Sunday nights, they always have this uh, meal that, where they feed the homeless people come in. And then all of a sudden, during the meal, the pastor got up and said, we're having a wedding today. Everybody go up to the sanctuary. And so all these guys go in there, and there's, there's music. There's the, the, the beautiful, traditional kind of wedding takes place. And all these homeless people who never get invited to these kinds of things are able to sit in there and rejoice at the union of this man and woman mm-hmm. uh, in front of God. And it's just this beautiful picture of the gospel of mm-hmm. them getting married, them inviting uh, people undeserving, right? Undeserving people in, and that's, that's the gospel. We are, unde- we are undeserving of the grace that we get for, through Jesus Christ. And so when we're at that marriage supper of the Lamb, we are the, the needy, the homeless, the people coming in. And it's only through Christ and through his uh, forgiving of our sins, through his perfect life, sacrificial death, and resurrection uh, that we get to be a part of that. And so I, I think the, yeah. the wedding can be this beautiful picture of the gospel. And uh, for somebody to do it, to, to say that we're just having our, our own private vows and then we're going to go shack up together... Uh, this to me, it screams American, uh, Northwestern or yeah, Western hemisphere, uh, individualism. That's right. And it, it totally flies in the face of, of what the church is and, uh, and what the gospel is. And we've really lost sight of community yeah. and in uh, our culture. And it's, I think that's why we get questions like this. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys.
great, great insights. We have another question from a listener. And uh, they said that because Lent has arrived, we're in the season of Lent right now. This person uh, was reading about Lent and they just had the simple question about what are your thoughts on the Lent, on the season of Lent, and should we as Christians observe it in some way? Well, for, first, could we ask if anyone here practices or uh, Lent? No, I don't. No. Have you ever? No. I haven't. No. I haven't for the whole season. I, I think I tried <laughs> what, to. What does that mean, Greg? I think I tried to each time I was in Bible college for like the first week and a bit, and then I gave up. <laughs> what does that say, Greg? <laughs> it says I have zero fortitude, <laughs> and that if it's not easy, I give up. Is that what you're getting at, Andy? You think I'm a quitter? Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. That's basically, okay. I just didn't Good. want to say it. Yeah, I just want to make it clear. All right, thanks, Greg. <laughs> So the question uh, then would be... I, I so think the, the, the... Should we observe it? The question came in regarding a, a, a article that was in the MB Herald, mm-hmm. right? And, what is uh, that? Mm-hmm. What's the MB Herald? The MB Herald? Oh, yeah. well, that is the publication of the Mennonite Brethren Church of Canada. And you can go online, you can go on their website. Uh, I don't know what it is, but you can go on the... Google MB Herald. Yeah, you can find it. Uh, you can find it either online or if you're a member in MB Church, they'll mail it to you. Mm-hmm. So, but... Uh, in that, in this article, uh, one of the pastors here locally from from Vancouver wrote an article about Lent and ha- and talked about well, how it's helpful, how it's something that we could and and maybe even should uh, participate in by giving up something for a certain season, and by giving that thing up, we are preparing ourselves for Easter mm-hmm. and the celebration of of Easter. Mm-hmm. So um, she's wondering if this is valid or not, what we think of that. Yeah. And um, personally, I'm all for it. You're why? Yeah, I'm all all for anything that gets you to focus on the gospel and to here. I think here's the challenge I have with it: is as evangelicals, we seem to just be like afraid of any sort of tradition whatsoever, and so in doing so, we we have no traditions. Whatsoever, so we don't take any time to reflect on, you know, uh, um, the the resurrection uh, in this in this case. But um, but but again, you have to be careful there because Lent is a Catholic, right? So practice. that's that's the that's the challenge, right? Yes. Because then you get into this Lent thing where Lent now becomes a part of your tradition, and this is something that you do. And so for me, it's this constant balancing act between. Uh, being apathetic towards something, and then where something just becomes robotic. So for me, anything that gets me to re-engage with the gospel, I mean, even even for even on communion, right on on a Sunday morning, you know, what do I need to do to get my place myself in a place in which I am reflecting once again on the significance of this this event, and that I'm not just drinking juice and eating a cracker. Yeah. Right. So, in, on that, in that sense, I'm all for what you know. What's going to get you to engage uh, mm-hmm. in, in the season, mm-hmm. but that's not going to lead you uh, down one of those paths of either apathy or 
some sort of robotic see, tradition. See, we would say, I mean, the, 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 the length of a Lent season would be 40 days minus Sunday. So they would begin with Ash Wednesday. That would be about 40 days before Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. And you're excluding Sunday. You're not counting Sunday within those 40 days. So it basically, if you're going to count it, it's going to be 46 days. So that's six weeks leading up to Easter. And so uh, what people did, and that, that I think was about four B, uh, the fourth century is when the the, the, the Lent uh, period was so. established. And so it began uh, Ash Wednesday when people would take ashes and like make a cross on their forehead, I think. Um, and then they would begin to like um, either abstain from, from certain foods or abstain from certain things to help them focus more on, on Christ and things like that. Mm. Now, the Bible does not... The Bible does not endorse, neither does it say no right. to the practice of Lent. So either way, the Bible does not uh, condemn it, neither does it endorse it. However, I would say, though, in our practice, we would have to be biblical. So, for example, Jesus would say, if you're fasting, don't fast in such a way that everybody in town knows that you're fasting. Mm-hmm. So... When we're when we're going through the period of Lent, are we those kinds of people who go and tell people, you know what I'm doing? I'm not going to be watching X Files because I'm on Lent, or I'm I'm not going to be watching hockey because I've given up hockey for Lent. Like, is that so? I should I probably shouldn't wear my so, Lent T-shirt. So you should you shouldn't wear. <laughs> see oh, again. So I think though, I think in our practice, Lent or bust. <laughs> yeah, in our practicing would have to be. Uh, we'd have to be um, yeah. in line with the scripture. And I'd also like to add, um, in in days gone past, people who engaged in the practice of Lent were doing it in a way to earn favor mm. from God. So it's, it's, a, it's yeah. an act of piety. So you're denying yourself all these things so that you can get more grace from God. And the scriptures, at least the New Testament, the gospel say, hey, God God loves you and his grace is upon you. So there is nothing you can do to deserve mm. the grace of God that is over you. So I think for those who are in, in engaging in Lent, hey, God bless you. God bless you. Like what yeah. Andy said, if, if it will help you focus on, on, on um, preparing your heart for the Easter festivities, for the Easter season, hey, God bless you. But it's not something to make public. For every everyone in town to know that hey, you yeah. know, Greg is now not eating fries. Yeah. Do you guys agree though? Like that, it, it seems when you read in the Old Testament, uh, God establishes a lot of holidays and a lot of reminders for the people oh. of of what He's done. A lot of memorials. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that we don't have a lot of, of those uh, of those times that we just. No, I don't. Spend. I don't know if we. I don't know if. I, it would be right to say we don't have a lot. I just, I just think that we don't make it a habit to observe mm. yeah. key, key. Uh, should I say, for example, the day you, the day you became a Christian, you know, and reflecting back with Thanksgiving that God's grace yeah. opened your eyes by His grace, He opened your eyes to come to saving faith. The day when, say, answered prayer. So we don't, we don't journal. We don't journal long enough such that we can look back and say, oh, I remember in this season, yeah, this is what point. God did for me. We don't, this season, this is what God... So we don't do a whole, lot, a whole lot of that. But the nation of Israel did. 
Right. So it's interesting. We celebrate our birthday, but we don't celebrate our spiritual birthday. Yes, we don't. We don't do those things. We don't look back. So we don't have memorials. And I think memorials are a good thing because they remind you of how far God has brought you. So the first time you are able to get a mortgage and buy your house, look back and say, hey, Lord, you know, you blessed me this way. Right. And, and, and I give you thanks, not to pat yourself on the back, but this is God's grace over you. And it's interesting, too, because it, particularly for the people of Israel, this was something that you would pass on to your, your children, your children, right? Yes. Hey, look at how God has been faithful. Yes. And it was interesting because in the Hemorrhaging Faith article that was published a number of years ago about why a lot of young people were leaving the church, that was a major piece of it, was, hey, you need to do something to remind your kids or let your kids know of the answered prayer that God actually has done in your life, that that God actually does answer prayer, and let them know about when He did answer different prayers in your yes. life. Uh, yes. Which I just agreed. We, we, we need to get better at we, that. We, we don't do memorials. We yeah, some people, some people will, will take like something, um, uh, something that'll remind them and they'll, they'll put it in their house. Like there might, might be a picture or a, uh, um, you know, like a, a, even just a date and they'll frame it and they'll put it yeah. on the wall yeah. or something. And then as the kids grow up, they go, why do we have that there again? And it's like, oh, well, that's because on that day is when uh, you're, you're, yeah, whatever it is. It's this big big event happened, and it was clearly an answer to prayer for us. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, you can do things like that. You can have these little kind of, uh, what, you want to use an Old Testament word? You can say a little Ebenezer's, like in your house, that you can, yes, I remember that. I look at that item, and I remember, yes, God blessed us through this time. And the focus, whatever. Yeah. The focus is not the item. The focus right. is returning thanks to God Amen. who enabled yeah. you yes. to right. receive such mm-hmm. and such a blessing. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's great. Hey, you guys want to do one more? Sure. Sure. Might All right. As well. Here's the last one. This one has to do with Christianese. Oh, yeah. Which is a... We got to talk on that. This is a language? Which is a word in and of itself that is reflective of the question. There's some great YouTube videos on this, by the way, if, if you need to... I, I actually heard of one. I haven't seen it, but it's a YouTube video of a guy interviewing his friend yeah, I've seen that's that a one. non-Christian yeah. and telling him different Christianese words and asking if he could try to explain them. It was. It, you've seen it? I haven't yeah, seen it's, it. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. So I do guess. you mind if I ask this question? So, Sorry. Yeah, ask Sorry, the question. Great. Yeah, I was waiting so for the I question. Say, I'm just going to suggest to you all this question. <laughs> Uh, the question is, we have a tendency as Christians to talk about God using long-winded words. And the question is, is does this come, aco- come across as pretentious? So what do you guys think about Christianese in general? What is it? Paul, define Christianese well, for us, and then let's, let's talk yeah, about it. Yeah, Christianese is um, words that we use that uh, within the church, within the Christian community, that everybody within the church knows what it means, but outside the church, they kind of just go, what? Like, what are you talking about? I don't understand that. So, hey, what, like, what are some examples? So uh, you might, so if, uh, outside the church, you might have somebody that says, and people talk like this in the church too. It's not like we don't, but so you, you'll have a young guy who's saying, you know, yeah, I'm dating, like, uh, I'm dating Sally, whatever. I met Sally and now we're dating. And then in the church, you'd be like, well, I'm really intentionally courting Sally, mm. <laughs> right? An intentional courtship. Yes, yeah. yes. This is courtship. This isn't just dating. This is courtship. It, it, that, that, Andy, what's some uh, other? Do you know another? Oh one? man, there's so many. Okay. Like one of my favorites Bring is him. one of my favorites is uh, 
I'm pressing into Jesus. Mm, or leaning in. Yeah. Mm. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, here, here's the thing to me. There seems to be a distinction between legitimate words and then these kind of catchphrases or words that we've made up. So, like, for example, propitiation, I mean, that's a legitimate word, right? Or or for me, apologetics, right? I mean, that's a legitimate word, right? We That is a biblically-based word. And so there, there's one aspect to me that says, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant on that word, mm. so I, if I use it, I better define it if, broadly speaking, people don't understand it. But Christianese to me, I wouldn't put those kind of words into Christianese. Right. I, I would put these other kind of catchphrases or words in, like, you know, I'm, I'm pressing into Jesus or leaning into Jesus, you know, these kind of, and I, I, we could come up with, I could share more, but those, that's what I'm talking about. Ezra, what's your favorite Christianese? <clears throat> My favorite? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I have a favorite. I, oh, okay, I would say, you know, people say, hey, you know, that was a God thing. Mm. Mm. And then I sit down and I wonder, but when when is it ever not? Yeah, yeah. Because God is sovereign, meticulously, over all things. That's right. When is he not in control? Even when things go sideways, right? who's to say that God wasn't in it? Mm. Right, so they'll say it's a God thing to like something that was really good and awesome. positive and encouraging. But, but if it, but if it, if it's, if it's being caught in a storm, yeah, yeah, where the waves are up and all hope is gone, mm. yeah, it's not a God thing, really. I, I always like it when I hear people talk about soaking in something. Like I'm just gonna soak in this message for a bit, <laughs> and I'm like, sweet, we got a bathing suit, or uh, <laughs> you going out to the hot hot tub. I didn't know that church had a hot tub. Yeah, but but you know, I think I think though, it's gonna go soak in Westport for. Business. I don't have I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with Christianese, as long as you define your terms, and the people around you know exactly what you mean by them. So if you're gonna say, "Hey, you know, I'm living on I'm living on mission," so what do you mean? Do you mean mission was? Is it a street? Is it <laughs> right. the place? Right. Like, yeah. what do you mean when you say I'm li- we are living on mission? What What is that? What does that mean? So, yeah. if if people around you can understand exactly what you mean by the terms you use, mm. then I have no problem. And I think if if you're in a group of non-Christian and uh, non-Christians and that that word comes, I think it beca- it gives you an opportunity to clarify the gospel more to them. So I don't have a problem mm. with them as long as you you also go the extra mile to I, to define what you mean by the term. And what I think a, though, okay, go ahead. I, I think that that's the challenge because this is where Christianese drives me crazy. And, and that is, is we build this subculture at church that assumes that you're a part of the culture to be at church and to even to get anything from it. I mean, even often, even the way that we'll talk at church is this underlying assumption that everyone that goes to church is church people. Right. And you're, you're talking about like people like the four of us who, when we're talking in church, can often assume right. that all that we're talking to in that room, all of those people are from a Christian background. Right, but we experience this as well. Like, I've been doing the Thinking Series uh, for the last number of TLCs, and we've had a great crew out, people are at their tables. You know, Matthew, actually, the intern here, he, he's been at tables as well, and uh, doing a great job. But one of the things that we'll see is people will come, and they'll be at the table, and they'll be having a discussion with people, but they will immediately assume that everyone at the table shares the same worldview as them. And so a lot of their lingo and the way that they'll talk is very us and them because of the type of Christianese that's being used. And, uh, and, and that's what I really find uh, concerning. Yeah, I think, I think <clears throat> I agree with you in saying that 
uh, we need to be careful with our language in, in church settings because you don't want to create um, a better than uh, mentality or culture in your church where people who are unchurched come in, feel, they feel very uh, on the outside. inferior, feel on the outside and things like that. However, I'm also going to add on this and say, I, I, I don't think I need to 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 shy away from using language that demonstrates my my profession mm. of faith mm. mm-hmm. in Jesus. I think I'll make I make no apologies that I'll come to church to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Mm-hmm. As long as I'm also careful enough to to define the terms I use in the company mm-hmm. that I'm in. And if you're in a company of Christians who are using Christianese and they say something that you wonder, what do they mean by? I don't think it is out of place to say, okay, so explain what you mean by th- what you just said. So if you're going to mm-hmm. say, oh, you're living in mission. Okay, so how how is that? Like, explain, give me more. Yeah. And then let let them unpack for you what, what they mean uh, by, by, by the term. And I think that is fair game. I think when we're talking about Christianese, as long as the person who's who likes to use it is is uh, isn't using it just to try to make themselves seem more spiritual than others, as though that the way that we put the words together makes us a better Christian or not. And as long as they're willing to define what they mean when we're they're in a setting where other people might not totally know what they're talking about, I don't actually have a massive problem with it. I also think we we as Christians could be more generous towards people who do use Christianese to just assume the best about them rather than assuming the worst that they're using it because they think they're better than us or they're using it because they're like totally unhinged with reality or whatever. So I think there's, there's the mix of those of us who are listening to people who use classic Christianese phrases to kind of extend some grace. And if you use it all the time, just ask yourself, why am I doing it? Why do I use those phrases? Is it because it's the best way to communicate it or because I've just fallen into a routine of these are just the things that I say. Or yeah. even to be uh, to be aware, what do I mean by? Yeah. Paul, you had something to say. No, I was just going to say that um, like even in our, in our churches, in most churches now in the Western world where we speak English, we don't use, generally, we don't use the King James Bible because it's hard to understand. So even, even when I preach or Ezra, Jeff, when, when they preach, Andy, Greg, all of us, when we preach, uh, we, we want to use language that is going to be accessible, not just to the Christians who are in the audience, but mm-hmm. to the unbelievers who have been brought by their friends or who have just come in through that door that day. We don't, we don't want to be talking in, in old English saying these and thous and thines and whatever. We, wanna, we want it to be accessible to everyone. Because the goal is communication. Exactly, yeah. And so, when, so even in our conversations with people outside at our workplace or whatever, uh, you know, it's okay to say, you know, uh, um, I, I got I got lucky on that uh, when I played that game. You know, well, it's it's okay to say that. You don't have to go. Oh yeah, I was really blessed to win, right? Like it's okay because that's the accessible language of the culture. But isn't it interesting at work you wouldn't ever use Christianese, right? That's a language you only would use, right? The listener at actually brought up the distinction between like when you're talking with your buddies watching a football game compared to when you go and you show up at church and you're talking to your friends at community time over coffee. He's like, he was saying, I, I've noticed among some of my peers, like the way we speak changes when we're at a certain Christian setting. And if even afterwards, when we go to like white spot after to go have a burger, 
it's a different, we use a different vocabulary. Mm. Like based on their social context. Yeah. I think that's what he's speaking about. Yeah, and 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 <laughs> get it? I got that. So uh, King James. Yes, I think I said speak. There, there is <laughs> there is a bit of that where you find Christians in a Christian circle will behave one way and and use language in one way, and then when they are out with their neighbors or family members, they will speak differently, and so you're wondering, okay, so who are you? Are you the same person here? That, but I will say, I will say, I think if you have a conversation with doctors. If you're in a group of doctors or lawyers, uh, even police, some of the language they'll use when they're in their professional setting, so to speak, will be different oh, yeah. from the language they'll use when they're just hanging out with their family members or sure. yeah. neighbors. And yeah. they will have certain words that they will use. And I think at the end of the day, as long as the Christian is, is uh, real, mm-hmm. if you're real... And if you can, if you don't mind being asked to define your terms, yeah, I don't think there's a there's a problem. The problem comes in if you're becoming a hypocrite, where you're using Christian right. lingo to promote yourself as the know-it-all, mm. super right. spiritual, mm. which was part of the question, right? Yes. The right. pretentious piece. You're just putting on an yeah. act. Then that's yeah. an act which is mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. Totally. All right. Well, thank thee all for. Contributing in thy most <laughs> wonderful ways, I really soaked in this podcast, and thou art welcome. I saw you leaning in at times. Two two forty three is the most blessed of all thine episodes. Hope that you've all pressed in on this one. That's right, or pressed off. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, thanks for being around the table, Matt. Thank you for silently producing us once again. You're doing a great job, and thank you for listening. If you have questions, please send those into extra at northview.org and we will look forward to seeing you at church on Monday.